to the Mighty Morphin HR Changers podcast, episode nine, entitled Everything is Negotiable because Nene Leak said so. <laughs> and I am Devontae Logan, and I'm here with Megan Copeland, where we will discuss. Meg, can I get a drum roll? Salary. Oh, jeez. Oh, you heard that? I did. Rumble. No. Salary negotiation and payroll. So just to recap from last episode, we talked about millennials versus ancient corporate America, where we shed some ideas on the workforce from the perspectives of both the millennials and from those of the baby booming generation. So if you haven't had a chance to tune into that episode, I think you definitely will enjoy it. It was super fun creating it. What do you think, Meg? It was fun. I, I, I enjoyed that one. I listening enjoyed back it. On it. I enjoyed all the laughter. <laughs> Well, today, ladies and gentlemen, Meg and I are joined here in the studio by another special guest. You ready for this? Yes. Well, we have Mr. Armando Wilson joining us today. How are you feeling today, buddy? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing excellent. <laughs> Welcome, Armando. Thank you guys for having me. I'm he's not nervous. He's done this like a million times. So no, he's I'm, I'm really excited to be here with you guys. Awesome. Good. Well, Armando has has had many different career paths, and today he will be discussing with us salary negotiation and offering some advice for all of you soon-to-be payroll experts out there. So you have anything you want to say before we get started? Uh, I mean, I can talk a little bit about my background and myself. You know, I don't want people just to hear me talk and think I don't have any experience and all I'm speaking on, but... Uh... All right. Well, again, like I said, once again, we want to thank you for joining us today, and the floor is all yours. Oh, okay. Uh, well, thank you guys for having me. Uh, presently, I work for Cisco Corporation or Cisco Business Solutions. Um, Cisco with an S, not C. You know, the, the corporation with the C is the IT company. SYS is the food services company. Yes. Um, we're the world's largest food service provider in over uh, 48 countries. And we have one here in every major city and other smaller cities. I think we have about 80 broad lines. We call operating companies. Uh, at Cisco, I am the coordinator for payroll operations. Awesome. So I've you know been doing that for some time. Uh, went to Georgetown for my undergrad. Yay! Ooh, go Hoyas. <laughs> uh, got my MBA as well. So and also have my FCP and CPP. We'll get into that later on as well. So. Awesome. Nice, nice. So what excites you about your career field in payroll? Money. <laughs> no, not not me making money. That's still exciting too, you know. But uh, helping people make money and you know, giving people paid on time. The most important function. I know you guys are all about HR here, but the most important function of HR is payroll. If you don't yes. pay people, yeah, yeah. we have anger. We got to deal with those issues. That's why they're not paid, right? Yeah. You, you wouldn't have an HR if you don't have people, and you won't have people if you don't pay them. Right. Exactly. So that's the most important function of it. Good. Good. All right. So. Before we get started, both Meg and Armand, I want to share something with you all from a study that was conducted by Robert Half, which is a global staffing firm. So 39% of workers tried to negotiate a higher salary with their last job offer. Among people in the 27 U.S. cities surveyed, those in New York, 55%, Dallas, 51%, and San Francisco, 50%, were most likely to ask for more pay. So what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? For me, it's obvious because those are some of the major cities from just kind of looking at this high level. So what, what's your take on that? Well, I'm from New York, so that's my hometown. So uh, 55% is like, uh, salary, you always have to negotiate. I mean, it's always something you, you never, anything, when outside of a, 
a grocery store or a gas station, we try to negotiate and look for the best prices, whether you're on Amazon, whether, mm-hmm. you know, you're looking for plane tickets, you're looking for a vacation, anywhere. You always try to negotiate. So it's, you should look at the same way with payroll or a job, you know? Uh, you always have to go in and nobody's ever going to give you what you're worth or right. what you feel like exactly. you're worth in any field. So, you know, they, they, they're never going to start at 10 with you. They're always going to start somewhere around <laughs> six or five, five. or four and a half. <laughs> and, you know, even though they're budgeted for 12, but they're still going to try to lowball you. So you got to yeah. budget, you know, negotiate all the time. Exactly. And in terms of gender from that study, 46% of men negotiated salary compared to 34% of women. Workers ages 18 through 34, 45%, are more likely to negotiate salary than those ages 35 through 54, which was in the 40% category, and 55 or older, 30%. Now, Meg, I know you wanted to kind of touch on that because I know when we talked about 34% of women, I saw your face over there. So go ahead. What you got? Yeah, I mean, that number is extremely low, right? Um, So I've worked in recruiting, and so I see lots of women that don't negotiate their salaries. Men do it. Mm-hmm. They go back and back and back and forth so they've reached a solid number. But women, you give them a number, okay, okay, I'm open. They just take whatever. Yeah. So they never negotiate their salary. So make sure that you negotiate your salary based on what you feel that you're worth. Because like Amanda said, they're never going to pay you, you know, basically. Now, you do you feel. think that's generally uh, speaking about like millennials or older women? Because I know uh, from my experiences and, uh-huh. you know, I'm not a woman. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, women, honestly, and I've seen women negotiate more lately. Young, A lot of younger millennials. Now. Right. Mm-hmm. Versus, you know. You know, our, I don't want to say our parents, but people generations before previously, mm-hmm. you know, people who were generation Y or X or, you know, baby boomers and, you know, so. Yeah, I think it's more of the generation gap. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, so right now I am currently hiring for a couple of roles um, at a company that I work for. And I see it more often now that the women are negotiating millennials, of course, mm-hmm. they're at high, higher rates, they're getting more education than uh-huh. men, of course. So they're like, look, I want more money uh-huh. because I have student loans to pay. <laughs> I have bills to pay. So they want more money. So I see it more now than I did probably like three or four years ago. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's always a good thing to negotiate because I was like that too. I never negotiated my pay. Somebody said, oh, we're going to give you $5. Okay. <laughs> I'm exaggerating on the number. And, not I also $5. Think, and I also think there's just a lot more research and a lot more people talking about it mm-hmm. that is sparking the interest in millennials and even those maybe a step up in the generation before us and even below. Yeah. So I think that's that's crucial as well. It's funny you say that because I read an article not too long ago on, uh, I want to say Forbes or Business Week that says millennials are the first generation to openly talk about finance and salary mm-hmm. yeah. before their parents and grandparents' generation. You know, it was very private back, you know, mm-hmm. you don't talk about it. And it's still taboo. And, and, you know, we all have had experiences at large corporations and, you know, it's very taboo where if you work at a lot of boutique or smaller mm-hmm. uh, firms or startups or even companies, you know, it's encouraged. You know, it's not because, of the, the, you know, the whole team concept is, is very important. Mm-hmm. So... Man, we got bills. Millennials got bills. Everyone got bills. It's just so. the oversharing millennials do, too. You know, we got to post everything. You like your, offer, your offer letter, your car, your, yeah, your apartment. Right. Everything. All right. So the both of you, let me ask you, Are is there any tips or anything that for someone who is new to the game, looking, you know, they, they got that first gig in their major corporation and the company may have thrown the first number out there. So do you guys have any tips in terms of what they can do uh, to nail the salary that they want? 
I always say you should resist throwing out the first number. You should at least hear what you're going to be basing your counter offer on or uh, whatever you want to, you know, counter what they give you initially. Again, like I said before, companies are not going to give you, uh, you know, you're not going to be 23 years old, fresh out of undergrad, making a very particular field. It's very skewed. Mm-hmm. Engineers, you know, usually medicine, it's just those fields, $95,000 at 23 years old. It's not going to be the first number. But there are other ways, you know, um, especially with younger workers and people who are in more entry-level and mid-level positions Mm to negotiate. I always say, and I give this tip to people all the time, Devontae and I talk about it, is negotiate your PTO, your time off, your vacation, your sick pay. Negotiate your benefits. Negotiate your your work flexibility. Um, Can you have an AWS, as we call it, an alternated work schedule Uh or or alleviated work schedule? Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's money. That's cash in your pocket. You know, most companies... And it's sad to say in America, for it to be a large Western powerhouse country, give you standard two weeks vacation for, you know, most entry and mid-level jobs. Mm-hmm. If you go in and ask for another a week, that's a week's pay. You mm-hmm. ask for another, you know, floating days or personal time. Um, you ask for, again, working from home, flexibility, depending on what you need. Those things are, and a lot of companies, if they're very hard-lined on finances, mm-hmm. they you know, bend and they give you that. And if they don't do that, then maybe you should think about if that's what you want to work at. Exactly. Yeah, like flexibility is key for at least for me when I look at other organizations. Are you flexible? Can we work from home? I think those are the types of things. And we talked about in previous podcasts that some of those benefits that millennials and other people are looking for these this day and age. So, Meg, what about you? And turn it over to you. Um, I would say base your salary um, off of market rate or market data. So we have specifics like Glassdoor.com or Salary.com. Before you even apply to a position. I will always say research, research and research, right? Look and see what your job um, title is paying in, you know, three, compare it to three different states, mm-hmm. you know, um, comparing um, analysis basically. So I would just say, make sure that you do your, um, do your market analysis research so that you can come prepared in an interview. So that way, when that conversation comes up about salary expectations, you know, a, a number, yeah. You know, exact number that you want to stick to and, and don't sway away from it. Stick to that number. Yep. And then I just add, once you receive an initial offer at hand, whether you've negotiated or not, take your time and really thoroughly examine that number to see if you are comfortable with that. You know, sometimes we get into this mindset of not saying no, when in reality it is okay to say no. Um, and so I think that is something that we should really take into consideration as well. It is. So thank you both. And that was very informative information. But now I want to chat a bit about another important aspect of human resources that Armando touched on, which is payroll, right? Yes. So payroll is important to any corporation because without a payroll team or a systematic process for people to get paid, no one gets paid, right? Then that comes in for us as HR practitioners to come in and handle issues, et cetera. So payroll is a big, important component. And so I just want to turn it over to him to kind of go ahead and tell us, you know, for those of us interested, what is payroll, the definition, and some important components or functions of payroll? Payroll is the Cinderella of HR. (laughs) The stepchild that, you know, becomes the princess at the end. Uh, (laughs) I guess we're the wicked stepmama then. Right. (laughs) I, that's I, I don't know maybe that's maybe that's benefits I don't know yeah, <laughs> probably so <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know payroll is listed as the term that uh, a list of employees that receive compensation from a company 
Uh, however, most companies generally use the term to refer to the money that is paid to the employees or the re records that detail how much each employee is made. Payroll also uh, refers to the company department of software that is used to process paychecks, taxes, and the process of calculating and distributing employee paychecks. Real standard and, you know, mm -hmm. boring. You know? Yes. Mm -hmm. Webster's version of it, right? <laughs> but payroll, you know, encompasses a lot. Um, it does, you know, deductions and garnishments and your your benefits. Anytime it, it's it's a, it's an outside arm of HR, but it's very integral to HR systems, human resource data systems, to talent acquisition. When you, mm -hmm. you know, putting in a requisition for a new position, mm -hmm. you want to make sure that it's budgeted correctly with that. It's also, you know, great with works with benefits because you have to make sure the benefits are being deducted properly and sent to the right place. Um, so it's, a, it's like I said, it's an outside, but it's part of the family as well. Mm -hmm. Awesome. A guest house on the mansion. It awesome. is, yeah. And... That, I will say payroll again to piggyback off that it, it is critical because in HR, everyone is tied to what we call MRUs, um, which is the financial hierarchy with any organization in which everyone is tied to. So, for example, me as an HR business partner, I have a job code in which my salary is tied to a certain financial hierarchy. And so that all ties into payroll and one little mishap. A wrong code, I could be tied to someone else's business and my salary could be charged for another organization. So it, it it's a lot that goes into that. And so I appreciate those individuals who are in payroll, who really take the time to make sure that that stuff is correct, especially the garnishments. I don't understand that. It's, yeah. it's a lot that goes there, into there that. There is a lot. You have to be, <laughs> you know, you have to be well-versed and, you know, it's just like any other financial. You don't have to know every aspect right. of it. You know, some right. people are, you know, specific to particular aspects of garnishments or particular aspects of tax calculations. I mean, mm -hmm. If you do want to get certified in payroll with a FCP certification or CPP certification, you're going to have to have some, you know, working knowledge of each. Um, but tax law is very important to know as well because there's 50 states in this union and mm -hmm. each yeah. state, you know, has different tax functions. Some are, don't have income tax, some do have income tax. Mm. Some some have locals, Pennsylvania, you know, Indiana, uh, and New York and New Jersey have local taxes. Some, you know, and some don't. Texas does not have any state taxes at all. Mm -hmm. So that's something that's very, very important as well. Yeah, and also to touch on another point, I think, do you have any experience with global payroll? So outside of the U.S., have you touched on any global aspects of payroll? It's I'm funny you ask that. I do have that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was waiting for that question. He was. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. I actually have... Uh, <laughs> I actually do have experience processing international payroll in about maybe nine or ten countries. Um, each country is, like I said, it's, especially our, our neighbor to the north, Canada, has a very different payroll mm -hmm. system. Mm -hmm. um, Great Britain, and there's, you know, especially with a lot of contractors in the military in the mm -hmm. Middle East, in Iraq yeah. and Afghanistan, um, as well as Australia and China. Um, a lot of companies, larger companies, use a third-party payroll software provider mm -hmm. that uh, it's called Blue Marble, which is the biggest one, one of them, mm. Blue Marble. And Blue Marble does a lot of the uh, international payroll functions. But okay. Yeah, for expats as well and things like that. Yeah, because I know it gets complicated because, you know, with me and dealing with those individuals, especially in Europe, you know, a lot of them are maternity leave of absences or short-term disability, long-term disability. Mm -hmm. And they have a lot of laws that are in place to protect them from a payroll's perspective. So they could be a maternity leave and it could be paid for by the government, but a certain parts of their benefits are paid for by the corporation. And so payroll has to know all those aspects. So it's it's interesting and it, it, it's kind of cool how it all flows together, but it can be complicated. <laughs> really complicated. Oh my so My look. brain hurts. <laughs> yeah, no, money. You gotta, know. You know, you're dealing with people's money. Yeah. The most important aspect. I always say that. Mm -hmm. It's the most important aspect. Yes, yes. absolutely. So... Meg and Armando, either or, you guys can chime in here. So 
Uh, but really, I'll focus this question on for you, Armando. So given your experience, what would you say a career path looks like for someone who wants to get into the field? They deem payroll as being their their function in which they want to progress. And I know there's they can be a payroll specialist, a coordinator, payroll director, payroll, whatever. So what would a standard career path look like from your perspective? Because each company is different. Each company is different, whether it's a small corporation, a mid-size, or a large, you know, global conglomerate. Uh, it's good to have a background. Like being a shared services environment, which is payroll is a part of because it works with talent acquisition benefits. You know, payroll's customers, or, or in a sense, are the employees. Mm-hmm. So a customer service background is always good to have. A banking background is good to have as well as to know the regulations um, with a lot of, you know, same-day ACHs, which are, you know, if you miss somebody's check, somebody wants their paycheck on Friday, you got to know <laughs> if they can, you know, get paid that same day. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of wiring. So banking background, customer service. Uh, most places, you, you have to, an entry level anywhere is, like I said, as, as a specialist or um, a payroll assistant where someone processes things. Like People start off as uh, being garnishment assistants, learning how, mm-hmm. you know, processing that. And then just move up. There's certifications, like I said, the FCP, which is a fundamental certification in payroll. Um, it's required by the American Payroll Association that's having at least three years of experience processing payroll, um, kind of like a PHR, which is mm-hmm. an entry level wow. certification. And then you have the CPP, which is like the premier payroll certification, um, certified payroll, you know, uh, Certified, certified pay- payroll professional. Professional, yes. <laughs> yes. See? You don't even know it. See? My own self, right? <laughs> so uh, that requires usually five or more five or more years experience, and it's a very, very detailed and very more, much more hands-on mm-hmm. uh, and knowledgeable. That'd be across the board. Um, so usually after three to five years, you get your certifications in there. You know, you can go from, like I said, a, a specialist to a coordinator or, you know, every company has their different titles. I, my, my title is coordinator of payroll operations. Uh, you know, operations. Mm-hmm. I handle a certain aspect at the corporation I'm in. So um, from there, it just goes and flows. Okay, awesome. awesome. So what would you say, just given your experience in payroll, what has been your most challenging experience overall? If you had to give one example, what has been the most challenging? Uh, it's learning the many different components of it, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, just like anything else, it can, it can become overwhelming at times, but you never let it get to you where it, it just takes away from your love and joy of trying to be a master in that field. Um, garnishment is very, very tough. I will say that. That's kind of like my mm-hmm. own Achilles heel with, you know, because <laughs> there's different types of garnishments. Yeah. There's child support. Mm-hmm. There's bankruptcy. There's mm-hmm. state tax levy. There's federal tax levies. And there's miscellaneous garnishments for, it's you know, there's, that's miscellaneous, <laughs> yeah, which is, loans. you know, which is debt. You know, you can have a yes. payday loans or mm-hmm. medical bills or, you know, auto loans, different things. So, mm-hmm. Once somebody attaches a garnishment to your wage, then it's hard to get that off, Ooh. and it's a process. Right. I don't even think about it. Do you communicate it. that information to the employee? By law, you are required to give the employee information um, prior to the paycheck that is coming out that they're going to have uh, a portion of their wages deducted and sent over to the state agency, to the court, to the creditor, whoever it may be. So you are required, yes. Oh, okay. If not, oh, wow. the employee can sue the employer for not for non-notification. Communicating. Right. Oh, wow. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so how does one, key, like you mentioned, there are lots of laws and regulations, as I mentioned, globally and locally here in the U.S. So how does one keep up with all of those various laws and regulations? Obviously, with any job that you do, it becomes cyclical, so you you know what you do day to day. And us being in HR, we know how to recruit. We know how to handle ER. It's just kind of ingrained. And I'm sure the same applies for you and payroll, but how do you keep up with those different laws and regulations because they do change? Well, luckily, uh, just like... In today's world we live in, things are communicated. So if a 
if a minimum wage increase, which is also affected by payroll, uh, goes in effect, it's usually notified. Like I said, the state sends out information or the government sends out information. It's the same thing that they're, the state unemployment tax is increasing. It's mm-hmm. going to be a notification. Or the some states change the amount of time that we have to notify the employee of a garnishment. Um, so it's, it's all about keeping your ear to the ground, quote unquote, ear to the streets and whatever your field or aspect of payroll you're in. Keeping up with that, like I said, the APA is good, uh, you know, when, and you get updates from your, when you hit your certification via email, mm. you know, different happenings in different states, so. Absolutely. Okay. And so do you have any advice for anyone, again, looking to break into this, this specific subset of HR um, in terms of what they can do to prepare? Again, I know you kind of hinted on it, but for, for example, someone coming out of the university looking for that right job and what, what advice would you give? The beauty about payroll, I say, is that you can come from, like I said, many different aspects, and don't you don't have to have an accounting or banking mm-hmm. or business background. You can come from anywhere. You, you can be a, a dance major or something, possibly, and, mm-hmm. and come into it. You have to have an open mind. You have to be knowledgeable. It does, you know, work to have some, like I said, some office skills. You know, mm-hmm. Excel is very, very important in payroll. Ugh. Um, there are many different <laughs> platforms, which we didn't even touch on as far as third-party providers, in-house payroll providers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, own companies doing their own payroll. Mm-hmm. You know, the largest uh, payroll provider third-party is ADP. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. That's who we you partner know. with, yep. Yeah, and then they, they, you have paychecks, and mm-hmm. you have, you know, the smaller companies, yep. and you have, you know, different, different, all different types of, you know, organizations, organizations that do that. So okay. you can... Those are great resources to get internships from them as well. If you okay. want to think about that while you're in school, if you're not and want to make a career change, um, it's like I said, study up, apply, use your background in finance, business, banking. Even and read. Read lots of books. There's, there's a lot of information There's so out much there. information yes. out there in payroll. I know the American Payroll Association, this is actually one of the resource offerings when we get to it, but they have a lot of different books and things to help you keep you know, afloat with it. So... Well, again, once again, Armando, thank you again for joining us on today's episode. This has been great information and advice for those people looking to break into the field. Um, this was this was a very good session. So again, we want to thank you for your time out of your busy schedule. Thank you um, guys for having me. No problem. And so, Meg, like I mentioned, guess what? What's up? What's up? It's your favorite time. I know. I love this time. Resource offering time. Yes, you're funny. Well, as I mentioned, the American Payroll Association, and Armando touched on this, is a trusted source, much like how the Society of Human Resources is as well. The APA offers offers certifications to become experts in the field of payroll. So these are CPP certifications, which Armando again hinted on, which stand for Certified Payroll Professionals. And you can learn more about those qualifications needed to obtain those certifications on the American Payroll Association website. And again, they also have those additional resources for you to um, study up on in terms of the laws and different things that are going on locally within the state um, that you're in or nationwide. The next one I want to offer is the Global Payroll Management Institute, or also known as the GPMI. It is the world's leading community of payroll leaders, managers, practitioners, researchers, and technology experts. Their primary objective is to increase the global payroll professional skill level through education, training, publication, certification, and networking opportunities. They also strive to obtain recognition for payroll work as a practice as practice in today's business and legislative environments. And so, as I mentioned. You know, you may be working in the U.S. payroll, but if you're curious to learn about what happens in Indonesia, what happens in Bulgaria, what happens in Austria, what happens in Turkey, whatever, these are different sites that you can go to to see what's happen, happening, you know, worldwide, whether that's in the EMEA region itself, 
APJ, Asia Pacific and Japan, Latin America, or just the United States, Northern America as well. So that is what I have to offer today. So that wraps up today's podcast. If you have any questions you'd like to address, comments, feedback, or have an HR topic that you would like to hear on our next episode, we can be reached at info at mmhrchangers.com. Again, that is info at mmhrchangers.com, where we are here to help you become the next Mighty Morphin HR Changer. Have a great day. See ya.